0: Hello, happiness seekers. Welcome to the Happiness Challenge podcast. I'm Claudia Mitura, and I'm on a mission to explore the best happiness habits that science has to offer. Like so many others, the pandemic cut me off from my family and work, so I decided to use my training as a psychologist to discover what science can tell us about the art of happiness. What I found set me on a path to joy, and now I'm ready to share my journey with you. Each month I'm publishing three linked episodes where I'm speaking to a leading expert, putting their tips to the test and sharing my findings and feelings. From mindfulness to exercise and random acts of kindness, I'll be shining a light on the simple happiness habits that can bring more joy to our lives. So join me as I embark on my challenge and together we can become more successful, resilient and happy. Hello happiness seekers, welcome to this month's happiness challenge where I'm exploring how to stay curious and happy at work. Helping me with this topic is the founder of the Global Curiosity Institute and the author of the best-selling book, The Workplace Curiosity Manifesto, Stefan van Hooydunk. Stefan is going to outline why curiosity is important to our success and happiness, as well as how we can build a stronger curiosity muscle. So I'm very intrigued about that. So join us to ignite your curiosity to stay happier, healthier and more successful. Welcome, Stefan.
1: you, Claudia. This is uh, no pressure. Uh, looking forward to the discussion, actually, I told you I'm working on some research around looking or exploring the connections between happiness and curiosity. So the podcast comes very timely.
0: Yes, I'm very excited. I think those two topics go really nice hand in hand, and we need both of them to really reach uh, that great potential of positive well-being. But let's start with maybe the kind of the basics and foundations. What is your definition of curiosity?
1: Well, I've selected a, a definition of curiosity, which fits both individuals, but also systems. Because for me, organizations can be curious, teams can be curious, even societies can be curious. So I'm talking often about the mindset that challenges the status quo to discover, to explore and to learn. So there's many things unpacked in those dimensions. And so it's about intentionality. It's about uh, taking action. For me, curiosity is a verb. So it requires activating that curiosity. And now it's it's a little bit like happiness when often we have a very simple definition of the word in the backs of our minds when pressed. And we can all come up with some definition of happiness, I guess. But we're reflecting a little bit of it about both dimensions and we're kind of uncovering or kind of going deeper into the layers of these, the peels of the onion of actually both happiness and, and curiosity. We find many other things. So for me, curiosity is not only linking to what we in popular language is using, what I call intellectual curiosity. I'm also heavily focusing on empathic curiosity, are interested in the other as it links to diversity in the workplace, to inclusion, as it links to better relationships. And that often already takes people a little, little bit by surprise. And then the third dimension of curiosity for me is everything about curiosity about me and myself. What are my beliefs? What is my purpose? And actually, there's also a link to happiness there. I call it self-reflective curiosity. And the better people are at this, the better it leads to self-awareness. And the outcome of that type of curiosity is happiness, is resilience, is feeling grounded and feeling empowered. Now, also maybe to round off, and, and I'm trying to paint a picture that curiosity is is not this single thing, it's a multifaceted dimension is that curiosity can be positive, but can also be a little bit negative, uh, like curiosity can be positive, and nowadays everybody thinks of curiosity as this positive thing, and it's a kind of curiosity for curiosity's sake, and Einstein discovering the universe, children being interested in the world around them. So it's all, it all has a lot of beautiful stuff. yet there's also one dimension which links to anxiety, which is the the frustration of not knowing. And scientists call this deprivation-type curiosity. For instance, if you're watching a really bad movie, but you want to keep on watching the movie because you're hungry to know the end, and you know? Or at work, when you find a problem and you can't sleep until you've found the solution to that problem. Or when you go to a doctor and it takes two weeks before the results come back. That type of anxiety in science, we call it kind of a, a information gap theory. You have this gap in information in your head and you, you're trying to play with it. So anyway, the definition for me is the mindset, the challenges, status quo
0: to discover, to learn and explore. Fantastic. And I think it's so important that we understand that curiosity, as you're saying, is not multidimensional. Very interesting to know that curiosity can lead to that anxiety. Uh, I was actually thinking when you said that curiosity might have some negative components, I guess, I was thinking about maybe... The idea of being a bit too nosy or gossiping about other people in a kind of social relationship. So that's what came to my mind that, you know, it's a great thing to be curious about other people and find out about their experiences and backgrounds. But I think it's a different way than if it's used maybe for kind of any malicious ways. So I think that's what came to my mind. But I think the exploration, the curiosity about ourselves, it's so interesting because I must say, when I think about curiosity, I do associate it more kind of outward facing. You're curious about something that is out there rather than maybe what is happening for you. So you already mentioned a little bit that Linked between curiosity and happiness. But let's recap some of the outcomes or some of the findings that you are aware of. Why is it that actually uh, happier people are more curious or vice versa, when we're more curious, we're experiencing more happiness?
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Maybe backtracking what you're saying and what you thought was about the negative connotation of curiosity. Indeed, in society, we have this love-hate relationship with curiosity. And that often has a historic reason. Before the 1950s, curiosity was bad. It was all about nosy children poking their noses, and they were not supposed to ask the teacher too many questions. And um, it was about looking through a keyhole and seeing what the neighbors were doing. Those type of connotations. And that's why, for instance, you still have in English you have "curiosity killed the cat" as a negative connotation. Or in Romanian, I was told you have a thing where you're saying that curious people die young. Or in Polish, apparently, there's a saying. You're from Poland? Yes,
0: yes, I am. I was about Uh, to say, maybe that's, I was just reflecting, maybe that's my background coming here into play. uh, (laughs) Perfect. uh, In
1: in Polish, apparently, you have a saying that curiosity is the first step to hell. Yes, Um, it is. (laughs) and, and, And I think that stems from a very deep religious background, because when you're looking at religion, in all parts of the world, too much religion actually doesn't want people to be curious. Let's think about Eve. She was eating the apple of knowledge, and she was not supposed to. Anyway, back to your question about the the link to happiness and curiosity. I think it's quite magical. And I said I was doing some research on it, that apparently happy people are 12% more productive in organizations versus not so healthy people. What I also found is a huge variance in definitions. Like, on the one hand, happiness deals with this hedonic Like it's all about pleasure and it's all about positivity, but also eudaimonic dimensions, kind of happiness linking to purpose. And so very distinct and sometimes positive, sometimes subjective, sometimes objective. Now, in any case, I think when we're looking at happiness, I think happiness positively links to cognitive flexibility the more we're happy the more we're going to be open to the environment the more we're going to be able to brainstorm the more we're going to be more positive to this colleague the more we're going to be creative or coming up with new solutions to, to dimensions and already I'm starting to, to making the link with curiosity I think and curiosity clearly fuels growth fuels learning fuels connections fuels also The search for meaning, the search for purpose, the search for this self-reflection, the search for these better relationships. And also, interesting, what researchers have found, that there's a negative correlation between curiosity and anxiety and depression. So the more you're curious... And probably there's also a link to happiness there. The less you're prone to be depressed and the less you're prone to be anxious because you create this power around you to deal with this. So there is this interlinkage, this kind of happiness feeds curiosity and curiosity feeds happiness. And it's a nice loop, I think, that we're often in companies are not really focusing on or not really considering as an option.
0: Yeah, I would say that curiosity is always in the shadows of other very well-known and research concepts when it comes to happiness, such as gratitude, exercise. But curiosity is, yeah, I would say it's a little bit shadowed behind that. And it's so important, as you say, and specifically for organizations, because you wrote a book about curiosity in the workplace and really encouraging organizations to create environments for curiosity to thrive specifically at work what benefits do we have to actually be curious
1: well at an organization level i think it's very intuitive in the old days like in the last century. Not much was happening. Therefore, in many organizations, innovation and looking to the future and changing the way we're working wasn't really key nowadays with things changing so dramatically around us in all industries. If companies and leaders and individuals, for that matter, at an individual level are not open to the notion of exploration, are not interested in Challenging the status quo, updating their products, updating their knowledge, updating their skills. It's going to be a very short ride. Now, at the same time, it is difficult. And for me, the opposite of curiosity is conformity. And conformity has two dimensions. It's conformity to the team, but also the conformity that we do to ourselves. Conformity to the team is all we want to be perceived as loyal members of our tribes. That's why we want to conform to the rules, to to the guidelines, to the leaders' ideas, to everything around us, rather than rocking the boat. And rather than saying, oh, what if we do it completely differently? Or this project is really not the right thing to do at this moment. People often, even at really senior levels, do not share those thoughts because doing so makes you a less loyal member of the tribe. So often we we keep it to ourselves. And then this other dimension of of conformity, where we're trying to conform to our way of looking at the world and our way of of creating a simplified world. The world is too complex. That's why we're taking the same road to our office every day and we don't think about it. That's why we often have lunch in the same restaurant every day and often we're taking the same type of lunch because it feels easy. We don't have to think about it. And that's why we often have lunch with the same type of colleagues. So that's, that's also type of conformity. And that's also why we're pushing away new ideas, if they don't correspond to our way of looking at things. Because often we have this simplistic realism in our minds, that how I see the world is how the world is. Why some people should be likable or not likable, of course. My, this person is objectively not likable, but that's maybe not entirely the case because other people like that person, so maybe there's something wrong with you, type of thing, you know. So, this conformity is a big force, and it's just hard for people to be curious. Often, people are curious in the beginning of things, in the beginning of a relationship. You cannot wait to be with the other person, you're all the time with each other, you know. And by your smile, I can see that you're thinking of situations where this was the case. And then and if you fast track 20 years down the road, often people are not so curious anymore in their relationship because somehow this conformity settled in. We take people for granted. We become less curious and we invest less into that person because we assume we know the same is happening with colleagues. The same is happening with products. Once we have a winning product, we want to keep that milking that product as long as possible at the expense of exploring something new. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yes, I was definitely smiling. I've been in a relationship with my husband for the last 12 years, so I can <laughs> I can definitely relate to level of curiosity in the beginning of the relationship than 12 years later. So yes, I, I absolutely hear you. But I guess there is a aspect that some individuals are more curious than others, isn't it? Why is that and how can we check how curious we are?
1: It's a very good question and it has a number of dimensions. And the first dimension is counterintuitive. Often we think that curiosity is something that we're born with. And to a certain extent, that's, that's true. I'm going to talk about it later. But even more important is that curious people need curious environments. If you grew up in a curious family, if your workplace is curious, if your are colleagues are curious if your manager is allowing curious and he's a curious person him or herself you're going to show up more curiously so if somebody blames somebody from not being curious maybe that person has also something to do with it so curiosity needs a a, a conducive environment and then another dimension indeed curiosity is about 50% what you're born with but only about 50% so 50% is fixed in terms of your intellectual powers, in terms of your mental structures and mental setup. But about 50% is indeed influenced by how you feel, by how the environment is influencing you. And that specific 50% is something that can get better when you practice it. It's like a muscle. Or it can get worse if you don't practice it. So that's why I'm often calling a lot for measurement. What do you measure? And you just asked the question, how do you measure your curiosity? But also becoming aware, just noticing, am I curious in this moment? Am I curious when I'm filling up my car with gasoline? And am I kind of curious in those banal, mundane uh, dimensions? Because often people think of curiosity as kind of being these mega events that you need to have. So awareness really important. And then intentionality. How intentional, how proactive, uh, how empowered are you looking at curiosity? Or do you see it something that is just happening to you? How you can measure it? That was one question. You can do a a diagnostic on my website. Go to www.globalcuriosityinstitute.com and you can kind of find your own diagnostic. And uh, I have a couple of diagnostics where people can measure it, just one for free. And I give you back a score on your global score, but also your curiosity of your intellectual curiosity, your empathic curiosity, and your self-reflective curiosity. And that you can prime, yourself to start doing something about those three dimensions. And I think it's in nine languages, and it's now more than 7,000 people have taken it, and it's quite, uh, quite popular. Now, th- that's a way to measure it from a quantitative way. There's also a way to check it at a quality level. We can check this at home, we can also check it at work. Why don't we check with colleagues? Was I curious in this last meeting? Or was I curious in this project? Or was I more conformist? Or I think a beautiful question that we can ask ourselves or gift ourselves is when asking others, how can I be a better dot, dot, dot? How can I be a better partner to my husband of 12 years? You know, how can I be a better father to my 16-year-old daughter? How can I be a better colleague to you? How can I be a better guest in your podcast? You know, and thinking about it and asking that questions. And how can I be a better boss? Kind of reverse feedback, something that's happening in only 23% of the cases, according to my own research. So I think that's a great way to also, from a quality level, ask how curious am I? And what can I do to become a better version of myself? It's a scary question, but I guarantee you, you'll learn something, your relationship will become better because of it. And I've not heard any single case where people have misused or abused the opportunity of giving that
0: positive feedback. Great. So we have specific metric that you design, which is scientific, and that can give us some insights and inspirations. And then that very powerful, the gift of feedback, as you said, scary, but so powerful and candid. And we can learn so much about uh, ourselves and our level of curiosity. We're going now into those specific practical actions. So, I'm having that feedback, I have my score, I do want to build my curiosity muscle. And I really like that you're using that phrase specifically because we know that the muscle is something that we can practice, something that we can improve on. So what are specific tips you could give uh, to myself, to my listeners to improve and make that curiosity muscle stronger?
1: Well, a beautiful question. At the first level, I would say, give yourself permission. Just make it okay to ask more questions, to ask this stupid question in your team meeting, you know, or to give yourself permission to go up to other people and tell them I respect you and I really want to learn something from you. Another Another tip could be when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, prime yourself or promise yourself or invite yourself to be a little bit more curious about the world, about others, and about yourself. And in the evening, brushing your teeth again, you can kind of check, how did I do today? And then tomorrow you do it yourself. So it's about micro actions that you can be taken towards every day. And I guarantee you, by the sheer fact that you're moving your gaze, your focus towards curiosity it will show up in more abundance which is quite interesting how how we work as individuals i think another dimension could be i'm working together with a with a beautiful colleague and she's using the concept of curious thursdays and actually that means that for six days a week she is really focused on the conformity side of work. Things need to be done and th- everything needs to be produced, and companies want their projects done. But for one day, she says, I'm going to do things slightly differently. I'm going to explore new tools. I'm going to have meetings with people in different places. And she has meetings in parks, in museums, you know, and she's, she's actually also close to London. And she's allowing herself for one day a week to explore new things, new courses, anything really, to allow herself to be more divergent and to explore new territories. So that's a a great strategy. Another strategy related to people is make every conversation count, every single conversation. Even that conversation when you're paying after you have fueled up your car with the cashier or in the supermarket. Try to learn something new with every single person that you're interacting with. And with a cashier it could be a simple question like, well, how many customers do you see on an hourly basis? You know, simple things that kind of where you are genuinely with a lot of care and kindness asking questions. I want to learn a little bit about your world. And make it a promise to yourself not to leave a single conversation without learning something new at at work and the colleagues. If you're in the elevator with colleagues, go beyond the superficialities.
0: I think that's absolutely great. I think we have a suggestion of that self-reflection and micro moments and then I love the very practical have one day or one afternoon or one morning, whatever it is when you're allowing yourself that curiosity and I love the fact that then we're going into those relationships and being curious about everyone. I love to have curiosity conversations with colleagues when I'm saying, you know what, it's not necessary about this project. I want to go beyond. I want to learn more about you as individual about your career your what are you learning what are you excited about Uh, but uh, i think yet it's to with every person to be curious i think you're taking it definitely to the next level at some point you did mention that curiosity thrives in the right environment so my question is if i'm a manager And I want to have a curious team and I want to contribute to building a curious culture in my organization. How can I create that right environment so that my colleagues, my team give themselves permission to be curious?
1: A beautiful question. I would say that it's really important for the leader to give permission to say, guys and girls, it's okay to come up with new ideas. It's okay to stick out your neck. It's okay to challenge the status quo. I'm also vulnerable uh, as the leader. I don't know everything. Actually, for many leaders, they promote themselves as knowing everything, as kind of being these know-it-alls. And it's much more powerful. And they get much more engagement from their people and much more motivation if they're promoting themselves as being a learn-it-all, saying, I don't know everything. So I think a leader is giving permission is pretty important as a leader. Also allowing people to spend part of their time in less conformity-based activities, but also curiosity. Encourage people to think outside the box. Encourage people to spend their time on innovation and creativity. And that's true for all roles. In every role, there's a certain level of conformity. We need to get things, we need to fill out forms, we need to do excels and whatever you're doing in your work. But if you're also building in excitement and creativity and innovation in every role, then it's a beautiful thing to happen. I've noticed leaders who are in team meetings, for instance, who are creating a a rotating chairmanship. Or I've seen some companies, and I'm talking now at team level, where the team activities or the, the agenda points are formulated as questions. And it's amazing how much that's changing the dynamic in those team meetings. And also, I often ask the question to leaders then, how do you have your meetings? What are you talking about in your meetings? Do you talk about things that you already know and that just are there to conform what you know already? Or are you also inviting questions that challenge the status quo? So have this routine, create this space and time, I would say, as a leader for the team to get together at at a relational level, but also time and space to question things. Are we still on track? The world is changing so radically around us And it feels very comfortable to continue the same thing that we're doing. And that's true. I'm working with marketing groups now, and they're doing brilliant stuff, but they've been continuing doing the same things they've been doing the last three, four years. very successful at it, but their CEO is seeing that this has an ending shelf life. So why do we check and challenge the status quo, and are we doing the right thing? So give that time and space as a leader. And what I started off with earlier is show up as a person, full of what I call confident humility. Because not knowing, some managers are hiding behind not knowing, and they don't articulate it. Or, you know, they're a bit shy because I'm paid more money than my employees. are supposed to know all the answers. But what research shows, that the more a manager says, I said it earlier, the more a manager says that I don't know, the more engagement and the more productivity and the the more committed a team he or she is creating. And then maybe the last thing is what language is the manager using in his own writing, in his own speaking? There's some research done, it's beautiful research, actually uh, in those test centers of where we're testing for people going to Mars later on. And you have a couple of those centers around the world kind of where just looking at anthropology and how does it work and equipment testing, etc., etc. Now, when an analysis is made of the logbooks of leaders and the logbooks of the employees of those leaders one day later, then there's a correlation. The more a leader is using question marks as an indication for questions and exclamation marks as, as a correlation of surprise, the next day you see those curious actions appearing in the logbooks of employees. And there's a direct correlation. The more explanation marks and the more question marks, the more words like novel or wonder or curious is happening in the the logbooks of employees. So I'm often asking the question to managers, how does your language look like when you're writing emails? You know how, and by the fact, how the language you're using directly reflects on how people are reflecting and are behaving and are mimicking your language if it's aggressive they're going to be aggressive if it's curious they're going to be curious just notice often people are not aware of the language they're using that make sense
0: yep brilliant thank you so much and so many practical tips there for managers from changing our language to asking more questions to changing the agenda into a questions I mean here came the agenda to the meeting everyone like ah oh. Oh, my goodness. But actually, let's make it fun and exciting and, as you're saying, curious. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much. You've shared with us so many interesting uh, pieces of research and, most importantly, lots of practical actions that we can take on board to stay curious at work, in life, and, most importantly, be happy as a result. My final question to you, because this is a podcast about happiness, is what makes you happy?
1: What comes to mind is what, I, what makes me happy is I, I became a part-time farmer during COVID. And I have a piece of land of two hectares and buying another piece of land. So I'll have five hectares at 50,000 square meters. That's a lot of land. And I'm, I'm building a permaculture-based food forest on top of it. So it's completely bio. It's sharing with animals. It's sharing with the community and just growing. And that makes me happy to grow things. And I'm also noticing while doing this, I'm learning so much because I'm just a beginner and I'm encouraging everybody start with something new, a new hobby. it doesn't have to be such a big piece big hobby that I'm having now, but start something new and it will just create so much energy and for me, creation means happiness and like I'm building something for the future so that's what I'm that comes to mind. there's more things, but let's stay with this one. <laughs>
0: brilliant thank you so much again for coming to the happiness challenge podcast it was an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you
1: thank you so much claudia thanks for having me